What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Be sure to hit that like button, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or a video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Um, this is going to be quite an interesting matchup. I'm just pulling up the injury reports as of right now, so uh, I know what I'm talking about. But also, uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts for Twin Bill and Big Blue in the Bronx. So, with that being said, this is a this is going to be a challenging game for the New York Giants, no doubt. This is going to be maybe the hardest game, in my personal opinion, for the rest of the regular season. Obviously, playoffs will be a different story if we get there, because there's still a chance maybe we lose out and we, you know not go to the playoffs i don't want that to happen i think we'll win against the colts and i think we'll be fine um but i think this is going to be the most difficult because i think a dory jackson comes back next week he ain't coming back this week um and there's a possibility jalen hurts doesn't even play against uh the giants in week 18 it might be gardner Minshew, so the giants may have a load off there and maybe if the eagles do end up clinching within the next few weeks that number one seed they play uh, or I should say they rest most of the stars. They play most of the backups. So I'm not necessarily putting a finger on that. But right now I think this is the hardest matchup the New York Giants uh, have for the rest of the season. And I think they can play with these guys as well. If they do all sorts of things correct. Um, Justin Jefferson is going to be absolutely ball in this game. Just going to tell you guys that. So um, real quickly just want to go over the injury report. And we'll go more in depth with this game. For the New York Giants, uh, Shane Lemieux and Adoree Jackson, both guys uh, right now, it seems, you know, they didn't necessarily list uh, what the Thursday, uh, you know, what they did on Thursday. So, like, they didn't post anything for any player on Thursday, meaning that, you know, we don't know if Adoree Jackson, quote-unquote, did not practice on Thursday, but it's most likely trending that he's going to be out again. Same thing with Shane Lemieux. Evan Neal should be fine with the shoulder. Uh, that might be his left shoulder, if we're being honest, because I know some people have been pointing out that he may be injured in his left arm. So uh, maybe that has something to do with that. Kayvon Tibbs, elbow. I mean, he's probably going to play. Nick Vanette and then Leonard Williams. So um, I don't see why any of those other guys don't play. Minnesota Vikings-wise, uh, Garrett Bradbury was supposed to come back this week, uh, according to our guy that we'll do the interview with, of course, later on, Tyler Fornis. Uh, he said that Bradbury was supposed to come back this week, but unfortunately he got into a car accident and they don't want to really test anything. So there's that. Um, I don't really see anything else notable from the injury report for the Vikings. I mean, Asamo will probably play Eric Kendricks, Patrick Jones, Adam Thielen, rest, and then Cameron Dancer, an ankle injury. Um, so, I mean, also Cameron Dancer, I don't think he played last week. So Duke Shelley might be in there as well. But uh, I see Cameron Dancer playing against the New York Giants. And Dancer hasn't done well this season. I mean, him and Chandon Sullivan have struggled. Uh, we'll go over that, of course, later on. But um, with that being said, I guess we could start moving into the statistical analysis based on the last few games, the whole season, really. For the Giants, they rank 22nd in total yards per game, 28th in passing yards per game, 6th. In rushing offense, 20th in points per game. Defensively, 26th in total yards per game. 16th against the pass, 30th against the run, and 14th in terms of points per game. 
Uh, analytically, 27th in pass percentage, 6th in run percentage, 29th in pass percentage on first down, 5th in run percentage on first down. And then you take a look at the defensive analytics, 1st in list percentage, 4th in pressure percentage, which is really impressive, uh, knowing that this is a unit that doesn't get a lot of sacks. They've been ramping up the pressure lately, and guess what? They're 4th in pressure percentage. So if you're an analytical guy, you care about more uh pressures than you know sacks and all that stuff it's gonna obviously delight you and wink martindale right you know he doesn't necessarily give too much a poot about sacks uh he gives a lot of uh he gives a lot of poot about pressure so they're 18th in sacks as well for the vikings uh this is gonna be just gonna preview this right now foreshadow it spoil it whatever this is gonna be the most passing frequent offense the giants are gonna see for the rest of the season um obviously as for right now we're looking to see nick Foles next week and you know the eagles i mean i i think they run it a little bit more though they could still pass it with gardner Minshew. but this is the most pass frequent offense we've seen all season um 13th total yards per game seventh in terms of passing offense 28th in rushing and in points per game they're eighth defensively it's not a good area i think it's pretty much a polar opposite of the uh offense 32nd total yards per game 31st against the pass 18th against the run and 28th in points per game you look at their analytics they are third in pass percentage 30th in run percentage 7th in pass percentage on first down and 31st in run percentage on first down and then as well 19th in blitz percentage 24th in pressure percentage 17th in sacks so i mean obviously you look at the names daniel hunter and zadarius smith right those guys um you know they uh they obviously have some solid stats, and Tyler goes into it a little bit when we talk about the defense in the interview, but obviously they're not getting as much pressure. They're not as get, getting as much, you know, I would say uh, overall production when it comes to getting after the quarterback. So that's something to look for. I'm not going to say it's going to be an advantage for the Giants because sometimes the advantage becomes the disadvantage, especially when you don't have a lot of talent. So, for instance, the 31st, uh, ranked passing defense could be, you know, top 10 looking because the Giants don't have wide receiver talent, or maybe it's because Daniel Jones is not doing his job. Um, you know, obviously they're not the best pass rushing unit in the NFL. Well, guess what? They could be because maybe Evan Neal struggles. Maybe he's still hampering that shoulder injury. Um, you know, John Feliciano, I mean, he did solid last game, but, you know, it doesn't really cross over. Uh, so it's a matter of things that could go right and go wrong for the Giants. They just have to play their cards correctly. They have to compete. Um, things to look for. This is the number one thing that everybody's looking for when it comes to this game. That's Kirk Cousins taking advantage of beat-up corners with Justin Jefferson. Now, you could sit here and say, well... You know, the, the New York Giants could just double him, right? You could put Julian Love or Jason Pinnock as a safety with Fabian Moreau as a corner because I, I don't think Fabian Moreau should be, um, I don't think he should be off Justin Jefferson at all. Not in terms of playing off, but in terms of like, okay, he's on somebody else because Nick McLeod will get toasted. Darnay Holmes will get toasted. Uh, Radarius Williams, I mean, you know, he's basically a moot point at this point. Not that, listen, I don't defend him when it comes to going on Twitter and basically ranting about playing time, but he overall, I think he gets the message. That's just my personal opinion. I think he gets the message, and um, he is a better corner than McLeod. He is a better corner than Darnay Holmes, in my personal opinion. Maybe I'm just being a homer. 
Um, but they're going to look to take advantage of the beat-up corners, and it's going to be interesting. Once again, what does Wink Martindale do? Does he play a little bit more zone? Kirk Cousins really doesn't do too great against zone coverage. But then again, look at the corner product you have on the field if you're the New York Giants. Uh, man coverage, right? Kirk Cousins obviously plays a little bit me- better with uh, man coverage. Him and Justin Jefferson have a repertoire. And, you know, if you double Justin Jefferson, press him at the line, do whatever, and you take him away slightly, you still have Adam Thielen and K.J. Osborne, who had over 100 yards against the Colts to worry about. You also have T.J. Hawkinson, which... The Giants, the last few games, really haven't faced uh, a dynamic tight end. TJ Hawkinson is a pro bowler. So do you cover him with Julian Love, uh, which I believe is probably the most fitting? Do you cover him with Jason Pinnock, who really didn't do great against tight ends, uh, specifically going up against Dallas? Uh, Dalton Schultz had a touchdown off of him. You know, he, he gave up a lot of yards. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be pretty interesting. I think this game is close, but, you know, this game can easily get away from the Giants if they don't do the right things correctly. Um, and you got to just, at this point, play for the playoffs. You can't be saying, okay, well, this game's a takeoff game. No. And I'm not saying they're taking off games, but this is also a game uh, where the Giants, you know, I can't say you can't have urgency, but at the same time, you have a chance to clinch this week. Obviously, if Washington, Detroit, Seattle, if those, one of those two lose, actually, no, not one of those two. If two of those three lose, then boom, you're in the playoffs. If you get a win, if you get a win. So here's another one. Ground and pound, close the game. If the lead is big enough, Vikes with Dalvin Cook. Now, obviously, Christian Darasaw is one of the best left tackles in the NFL. He's very good at run blocking. Um, You know, you take a look at the rankings right oh they're 28th right and uh they're 28th in rushing yards i don't necessarily take that as a negative because they just elect to go with the pass more and you know you've seen that the past few seasons with teams like buffalo teams like uh the bucks right they have very very low rushing yard production but at the same time when they run it they still get like four or five yards of carry and you know the vikings happen to be that team their run frequency is like 30th so once again they're just sticking to their strengths maybe they stop passing the ball and they go with running the ball this game i don't know i mean things have surprised me before so there's that uh giants continue to pass on first down i complimented mike kafka last game for doing one thing and that's passing on first down now did i like the fact that they didn't go downfield at all i didn't necessarily like that i'm gonna be completely honest with you but I continue to focus a little bit more on the positive that, okay, they did trust Daniel Jones in certain situations to pass on early downs, and that's really what they should have been doing uh, starting the season, maybe even just this whole season. Just pass on first down, whether you trust him or not. It's more efficient. He's got the lowest uh, interception percentage in the NFL. So continue to pass on first down. It's just going to be efficient. Now, obviously, uh, you look at yards per carry, I think the Vikings give up one of the least in the NFL to running backs. They do not do good against quarterbacks running, though. So if you're Mike Kafka, maybe you want to run it a little bit more than anticipated. You use Daniel Jones a little bit more. I mean, he didn't really run for a ton against Washington, but they were probably studying that coming off of you know a bye week and then facing the Giants a week before where Daniel Jones run ragged on them. So if you're going to run the football, uh, use Jones a little bit more. But 
passing on first down, I think, is going to be the key to beating the Vikings. Um, it's not going to be some time of possession game, this, any other thing. This is also what I said against Detroit because Detroit is a high-powered offense. Same thing can be said for Minnesota. Both are high-power offenses. If you're going to stick with them and the Giants really don't have the personnel to be like, okay, we're going to be uh, neck and neck. They're going to be close, but they're not going to be neck and neck. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Once again, things surprise me. But in order to stay with them, you need to pass. You need to have a quality passing game. And of course, once again, we don't have the receivers. You know, the old line is questionable. A lot of other things you can throw into the equation, but they have to get it done. They have to get it done. They, sh I can't say should win this game because after all, a lot of people are picking against us, including myself, just a preview um, and a foreshadow. But, you know, uh, if... The, Giant, the Giants can stay in this game. That's kind of my point. The Giants can stay in this game, and if they do the right things, they can maybe even win this game. So there's that. And then Wink continuing to send blitzes. Kirk Cousins is not good against the blitz, but when you have Justin Jefferson against Fabian Moreau, you, could you probably would put that as more favorable towards Kirk Cousins than anybody else um, in terms of blitzing. And the Giants have faced some passers this year that are, quote-unquote, very good against the blitz, and they've gotten to the quarterback multiple times. Um, that interior of the O-line for the Minnesota Vikings is not very good. Um, you know, Ed Ingram, I'm going to leave the analysis to Tyler as he goes into Ed Ingram a little bit. Um, just that interior, they have the backup center, Austin Schlodman in. So, you know, he's average at best. And then you have, uh, Ezra Cleveland on the left side, but Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, you could look to feast. Uh, so there's that. And it's going to be very interesting as well. Uh, after a game where Kayvon Thibodeau absolutely dominated, is he going to get stonewalled by Christian Darasaw? Interesting. But also you have that other side where you could rush the passer with Aziz Ojolari. So players to watch. Uh, Kirk Cousins on the year. He's got 24 touchdowns, 11 picks, 40 sacks taken, a completion percentage of 65.3, and passing yards 3,818. You look at Dalvin Cook. 4.5 yards per carry, only 230 attempts, 1,045 yards, and total eight touchdowns, uh, two fumbles lost as well. And then you look at the receiving game, their top receivers are basically going to be the ones to watch in this game. Justin Jefferson, 1,623 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, and then Adam Thielen, who's been phased out a little bit, of course, obviously since Jefferson's came along because he's the new shiny toy in the building. Uh, feeling 686 yards, total of five touchdowns, um, 66 receptions. K.J. Osborne, who had a game last game, over 100 yards, four touchdowns, 457 yards, um, 45 receptions. Then also, probably the last one to remark on, T.J. Hawkinson, uh, 39 receptions, 335 yards, and a touchdown. So he's getting more involved as the day goes on. But with that being said as well, the Giants haven't faced a good tight end in a few weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see how they cover all of these weapons. Uh, you know, once again, is it his own? Is it a man thing? We'll see. Also, Christian Darrisaw, I don't have the stats on him right now. But Christian Darrisaw is also a player to watch because he is the best O-lineman on that O-line. You take a look at the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Zadarius Smith is having a really good year. 10 sacks, 34 pressures, 41 tackles. Uh, 15 tackles for a loss, 10 quarterback hits, and two forced fumbles. He really hasn't lost a step, a step since his Packer days, and, you know, Wink knows him. So maybe Wink 
gives Mike Kafka and Bobby Johnson some notes. Okay, this guy's not good at this. And then they could game plan from there. Uh, Daniil Hunter, this year, eight and a half sacks, 27 pressures, 55 total tackles, total of 14 games. He's also got 12 tackles for loss and 16 quarterback hits. And then another guy to watch for is Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson, now you look at the defense say, ah, it's you know, really not playing well. Uh, Patrick Peterson's playing really well. Uh, 58.9 completion percentage allowed, four touchdowns, three interceptions, 535 yards, 54 total tackles, 13 pass deflections, and three tackles for loss. I don't know if he's going to the Pro Bowl this year, but he's playing really well for his age. Obviously, he was drafted a long time ago by the Cardinals, and then when he was cut, went over to the Vikings. Uh, where to attack? Obviously, I'm just going to include this in because this is a crucial game for the Giants. Obviously, if you know they don't win this game, it's not the end of the world. But um, you know they do have some key areas in which to attack. Now, of course, I haven't looked at the Colts' passing defense. That's not till next week. But this is an area once again where the Lions game you didn't attack. You didn't attack the passing game. You didn't attack the weak corners. This is a game you could do that. Both have once again high-powered offenses. Defense is not not so good, and you know you can make an excuse at the time that the Lions they were they were fueling right. They were I think they won against Chicago, they lost against Chicago, whatever the case was before week before they played us. But their defense was coming along. Their defense is coming along, and you know obviously we were a part of the hot stretch, and they're still you know in that hot stretch. They just beat the Jets. So Cameron Dantzler, as I mentioned, he's given up a seventy eight percent completion percentage. Um, which would be 39 completions on 50 targets. He's played nine games, obviously he had some injuries. Two touchdowns, 113.2 passer rating, and a f- and total of 48 tackles. So, not great, obviously. Looks like, statistically, his worst season. Also, three tackles for a loss, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and four pass deflections. Chandon Sullivan, their slot corner, who was robbed of two scoop and score touchdowns last week. He's given up a completion percentage of 70.2. And obviously, you know, if you go in the slot, if you look at slot corners around the league, unless you look at a guy like Avante Maddox, of course, these guys tend to give up high completion percentages, but it also varies between skill sets and all these different things of whether they're going to give up a lot of yards in the slot or not. Uh, Chandon Sullivan, 489 yards given up this season, one touchdown, 102.2 passer rating. So he's got slightly better stats then our guy Cameron Dantzler and one pressure, 51 total tackles. And then real quickly, just because it is mentioned in the interview, take a look at Duke Shelley, uh, who was also a cornerback for them. He's played with a couple of different teams over the course of his career, uh, Chicago being one of them. He has given up a completion percentage of 46.2 in a total of eight games, two of them started, no touchdown, 68.6. So if they put him on the field, um, he's likely going to do well because, hey, listen, in a limited sample size, he's done well. Maybe he does that more. So let's go to questions to answer. Then we'll follow up with keys to win, prediction, and we'll move to the interview, of course. So questions to answer. Will the Giants pass more on first down? That is a key to the game, in my opinion. Maybe it is for some people. Maybe it isn't, but I'm throwing fucking spoilers like Christmas gifts. Pass more on first down. Take advantage. Obviously, yeah, you might want to step away from Patrick Peterson. But if they're playing zone defense, take what the defense gives you. But also, attack Dantzler. Attack Shandon Sullivan. Attack some of these other guys. 
I would personally now, obviously we don't have a dynamic tight end. I would like to see what Daniel Bellinger does. Um, and that's another question to answer. Will Daniel Bellinger be more of a factor? Who's going to be covering him? Is it going to be Harrison Smith? Is it going to be Jordan Hicks? Is it going to be Cameron Bynum? Is it going to be uh, Eric Kendricks? There's a couple of names you could throw out there. But uh, Daniel Bellinger, I think, should have a little bit more of a, of, uh, of a sample size this game in terms of the passing game. I think he should get more attention. If That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, can DJ uplift this passing offense to attack the weaknesses of the defense? I mean, listen. Obviously, you guys can say or not whether they simplify the offense for DJ or the receivers or whatever, but we're looking for those key plays and not just take what the defense gives us, but attacking those corners. You know, if Hodgins is beating Dantzler on a deep nine route, you're pro you want to throw it because once again, this game, you don't want to play this game. Um, obviously, you want to pass first on first down. And you want to have more of a presence in the passing game, and you should. But you don't want to do, okay, take what the defense gives us and moves on because, and move on. Because that's kind of like the running game that I don't like is where, oh, time of possession, oh, this, that, and the other thing, right? It's just, you know, chipping, and it doesn't necessarily get in the end zone. We need explosive plays this game. And I think DJ needs to be a part of that, read the field, uh, go after some of these corners. So there's that. Well, the Giants attack... Dantzler, Sullivan, and any other liability? That's another question. Once again, it's really catered around the whole offense. Um, will the running backs versus linebackers and safeties be more of a factor? Of course, that's speaking Giants offensively. Um, Saquon obviously isn't a great route runner. Maybe you get Matt Breida involved. Uh, we don't have dynamic speed in terms of receiving game at a running back, so we'll see. But if they don't have good coverage linebackers, you know, maybe it's a advantage for us. Can the O-line contain Smith and Daniel Hunter? For once, we're, well, I can't say for once, but there's not too many pieces on the interior that scare me other than Dalvin Tomlinson, the former New York Giant, uh, which you guys should be familiar with. He's a good run stopper, and, you know, he's a solid pass rusher. Obviously not eye-popping numbers, but this is going to be a game where Daniel should have more time than people anticipate, but at the same time, if Evan Neal is struggling, you need to make adjustments, right? Obviously, he's still hampering that shoulder injury, so um, there's that, and he goes up against, you know, Daniel Hunter, Zarius Smith, but also something uh, Tyler mentions is sometimes they'll put one of those guys on the interior and rush Patrick Jones, so maybe Patrick Jones goes up against uh, Evan Neal, you know, makes... Evan Neal rest a little bit from facing either Hunter or Zadarius Smith. So it's going to be a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of things. We'll see what Ed Donatel throws at us. Um, how do the Giants play Minnesota in terms of their offense, zone, man, or both? I mean, I think it's going to be a mixture either way kind of stuff. You saw that in the Eagles game that really didn't get executed well. Um, and obviously, of course, that was a talent issue too. Um, but with that being said, zone, man, both, I think – They'll start off with zone on early downs, move to man, and then, um, you know, you'll see some blitzing, you'll see some double coverage, and then that could leave guys like Thielen and K.J. Osborne open. How many times will Kirk Cousins be trounced? Um, I'm going to say maybe two, three sacks in this game for the Giants. I don't think it's going to be 
you know, there, there, there definitely could be pressure, but it's not going to be like the Washington game where Heineke's constantly being pressured and all these sort of things. So I think it's going to be less pressure, but, you know, still the same amount of sacks in terms of production. How many yards will Justin Jefferson get? Uh, it's got to be over 100, I'm being completely honest. We gave up over 100 to Jahan Dotson. And yes, I know that was a 61-yard play that Jason Pinnock gave up. But um, Jefferson is an elite receiver. He makes the argument that he's the best receiver in the NFL right now. So the Giants are going to have their hands fucking full. And who covers TJ Hawkinson? Once again, I think it could be Julian Love. They may put another corner on him. But uh, TJ Hawkinson is going to be one of those guys. If you double Jefferson, he's going to be open. Keys to win. Number one is contain Justin Jefferson. This is the first time in a few weeks I'm really worried about the defense. Um, you know, offensively, I think we'll do adamant. We'll do okay. But uh, you got to contain Justin Jefferson. You got to contain him. Best wide receiver in the NFL, if not one of the best. And, uh, you know, he is a game wrecker. He is a game wrecker on offense. If you let him start early, it's going to be a long day for the Giants defense, and it's just not going to be good. Number two, affect Kirk Cousins. Yeah, affect him while he's making these throws, whether you're doing zone or man blitzes. Um, he's not very good against the blitz. Attack that interior. Attack that interior with multiple defensive linemen or multiple players in general. Blitzes, whatever. Number three, attack the defense. You cannot play like you did against Detroit in this game. And you can't really have a game plan like you did against Detroit in this game. Because obviously, they figured the running game out. Now, obviously, this team is 18th against the run. But they don't really give up too many yards per carry. So what does that tell you? The Giants should be planning for more of a passing game thing. Now, obviously, once again, you want to have a balance of both. But that Detroit game really scares me. And... Mike Kafka has to show me something. This Giants offense has to show me something just a little bit. And also the coaching staff, the rest of the coaching staff as well, if they learned anything from that Lions game. Um, also, once again, yes, I know on paper they were a bad defense, but you know, you just got to game plan correctly. You cannot be playing this game like this is Washington and, oh, this is some ground-and-pound-ass team. No, this is a team that they're trying to adapt to the modern NFL of passing explosive plays and all that. And the Giants need to at least try to be on their level. Not saying they are, not saying they will be, but try to be on their level in terms of passing the ball efficiently. Prediction, before we get to the interview, uh, I'm going to unfortunately pick the New York Giants to lose. I think the Vikings take this game 27-17. to um, I just don't see the Giants winning. I think they're going to keep it close. But Justin Jefferson is going to be the difference of this game. This is not me being a casual. This is me being real. We don't have the corner talent to cover him. We do not. And even if we did, uh, you know, Fabian Moreau against Adam Thielen, I don't know how that would be because Thielen's still pretty good. KJ Osborne, all these different guys. And if they dare put Jefferson in the slot, Holmes is going to be taken for a fucking ride. So that's what I'm going to say. But we're going to turn it over to the uh, interview with Tyler Fornis of vikings wire all right so now i'm here with tyler fornis managing editor of the vikings wire obviously giants vikings saturday one o'clock p.m eastern standard time tyler i guess to open up how are you feeling coming into this game a and b how did the vikings manage to pull that game off versus indy so 
let's start with how I feel about the Vikings. I still don't quite know, but I'll tell you this team feels special. And one of the reasons this team feels special is they are never truly out of it. 10 and 0 in one score games while uh, year over year, you can't expect that kind of performance. Like just look, take a look at the Raiders. The first nine weeks of the year, they start two and seven. They were 0 and six in one score games. Like it's unsustainable, either positive or negative. So you're going to see some regression next year. But this team is figuring out how to win those one-score games. And one of the reasons they're able to do so is that coaching staff has spent a lot of time with situational football and to maximize it because they know that there there is still a talent deficit like on an overall scale with this team. And they're trying to do a competitive rebuild, and you're seeing that. Now, one of the interesting things is they're not getting a lot of production from their draft class, which has really caused a stir in Minnesota. But I don't deal with the draft class until about three years out because as as a a draft analyst as well you have to give them time you can't expect everybody to come in and perform immediately that's just not how the draft works you're going to get some guys justin jefferson was one but you're not going to be able to see it across the board you have to be patient but even with everything there's still causes for concern you had the disappointing loss to the eagles in week two the vikings forgot to show up against the cowboys and then it was kind of a mismatch of things against the Lions. Like the three losses have shown more than some of the wins, but the way the Vikings continue to win and the belief that they have within the building, I think is going to be able to take them farther than what some of your analytical models are going to say. While momentum isn't necessarily real, there is something about camaraderie, about chemistry and about playing for each other. And the Vikings have all of those factors. Cornerback Patrick Peterson been in the league a long time. He's going to make it into the Hall of Fame and get a gold jacket. He said at halftime, don't worry, the defense will get stops. All you need is five touchdowns. And that ended up being the catalyst for the comeback because everybody's like, okay. Um, do you remember uh, the John Candy moment with Joe Montana in the Super Bowl? Have you ever heard that story? Personally, I haven't. Okay. So I believe it was Super Bowl twenty two. The uh, It was 16 – sorry, it was 20 to 16 – Bengals over the Niners. The Niners get the ball at their own eight, and they have to drive in like a minute 50 to go and win the game. And, you know, big pressure situation. Joe Montana gets in the huddle, looks at his offensive lineman, is like, hey, isn't that John Candy in the stands? Everybody just relaxed, and they ended up uh, throwing a touchdown to John Taylor from 12 yards out for a slant to get the game-winning score. Like, that was that moment, and you can kind of equate them as very similar. And that's one of the reasons why the Vikings are sitting here as NFC North champions course glad to hear that and then you know the lions obviously they're right behind you but obviously you guys clinched the division and all that and green bay and chicago are at the bottom mm-hmm. um but starting off a little bit with the offense obviously um talk a little bit about kirk cousins and then also as a you know two-part question again the vikes are 28th in rushing offense but i'm not a guy that just looks at stats i look at analytics as well uh, does that have to do with the Vikes being one of the more pass-frequent teams in the league, or is it execution-based as well? Because Dalvin Cook has over 1,000 yards this season. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot of different factors. And when I take a look at the Vikings rushing attack, one of the biggest issues that they had was missing Christian Derrissaw for a couple weeks. Derrissaw has really made this run game go. If you watched him at Virginia Tech, that was his main calling card. He was a mauler in the run game, and – that was what was going to be the easiest thing to project. He was a solid pass protector, 
but then you heard that he had a core muscle injury throughout his entire junior year. And that really prevented him from like finishing guys and really being as dominant of a player as we've seen in the NFL, which is why he fell to the Vikings at 23. He has made the run game go with him. They're averaging about 4.5 yards of carry without him. It's like 2.2. He has been the catalyst for this running game and cook while he doesn't quite have that top gear anymore. He still has it mentally. He still has the ability to change directions and has great vision, and those things have served him well. You saw that against the Indianapolis Colts. He had a 40-yard run. He had that 64-yard screen pass touchdown. And I don't think it necessarily matters that the Vikings are 28th in uh, rushing as far as total yards. They're still averaging about four yards a carry. They're still able to utilize play action, and Cook has the ability to break out a long run. Now, when you kind of compare that with Kirk Cousins, statistically speaking, Kirk is having the worst year he's had since joining the Vikings if you look at the raw numbers. But when you watch him on film, he's he feels like a different quarterback. There are times where Kirk Cousins, and he started going into it at the end of the first half against the Colts, where he goes into robot conservative mode, where he's just like, hey, I'm just going to hit this three-yard route. I'm not even going to try and push the ball down the field. He's eliminated a lot of that from his game, which has been why the Vikings have been able to take that next step. And being able to look downfield, feel confident in throwing downfield and finding Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, TJ Hawkinson, KJ Osborne. That's been able to unlock something because way too often there'll be a 15 yard route open. That should be no problem for an NFL quarterback to hit. He settles for the five yard route and we're seeing a a shift in philosophy there. And that's attributed to Kevin O'Connell. I had a lot of concerns that the Vikings were going to be able to rewire a 34 year old quarterback. So let's be honest. He's been playing the same style of quarterback for upwards of 20 years. Like you're talking back to like JV, freshman, middle school ball. Well, he's starting to unlock some of that. And it's really impressive to see. And when you don't watch this team consistently week in and week out critically, and it's not an insult, like not a lot of people watch the Vikings critically week in and week out. It's harder to see some of those things. And when you look at more of a broad spectrum, it's like, oh, The Vikings are winning, but it's not because of Kirk Cousins because his stats are worse. No, it's because Kirk Cousins is playing within himself better, and he's playing smarter football. And I think that needs to be attributed to O'Connell and his staff. And I think over the last – I was looking at NFL's preview of the game yesterday, and I think there's a stat out there that he's thrown, what, 400 yards over the last two games, something along those lines? Yeah, he is – so this season, there have been four instances where a quarterback has thrown for over 400 yards – and two touchdowns. Kirk Cousins has two of the four. He has been on fire statistically the last two games. And against the Lions, a lot of things didn't go right, especially on defense. Cousins tried to will them to victory. And that at, during the press conference afterwards, head coach Kevin O'Connell said as much, that Cousins just tried to will us, and he just couldn't quite do enough. And there's just – the team believes in him. Everybody's seen their Kirk Cochain's videos. That is the team embracing that he is a 34-year-old dorky dad who's going to wear new balances and air monarchs to the barbecue. That, that's just the guy he is, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you have a league where you have, have players that like to show off, they like to be flashy, they, they like to be trendy, and you see things like Juju Smith-Schuster on TikTok, like that's, that's kind of the day and age we're living in. It's not so much the old school, hey, let's be conservative, let's just hand the ball to the ref. They're embracing him, and he's embracing them. And I think the introduction of this new coaching staff and not having somebody like Mike Zimmer, who's kind of, he's a brilliant football mind, but he was a curmudgeon. 
He didn't want to see a lot of that. He wanted you to go about your business and that was it. Well, this team is a little more relaxed. They're a little more, um, I guess you could say hip uh, to a point and everybody's embracing each other and it feels like a family and there's not a divide. And I, that to me is the biggest catalyst of the success of the Vikings. How has TJ Hawkinson played since coming over? Obviously he filled in for Irv Smith, who I believe is injured. Yeah. Irv Smith uh, suffered a high ankle sprain literally two days before the trade deadline. Uh, the Vikings were looking to add somebody, but one of the things with new general manager, Kwesi Dolpamensa, he is not going to add somebody to add somebody. He's made multiple trades since uh, the preseason that have been designed to help the team more than this year. They traded for Jalen Rager and Ross Blacklock, two guys that have one year left on their deals at inexpensive money. And even if they're backups, you're not spending a fortune to get these guys. Jalen Rager's got like $2 million on his contract. Ross Blacklock has $1.4. You're talking about guys who are affordable. And in this day and age, having affordability with potential to be better than what you are is a net positive. The Vikings traded for TJ Hawkinson. They essentially get him for two years, $10 million, and then they have to worry about resigning him. Well, a top tight end makes around 13 to $15 million a year. A number two wide receiver, you're talking about 18 to 20. Like, look at the deal Christian Kirk got. That's kind of going to be the standard. Brandon Cooks, was. they were talking about trade discussions for him. $18 million guaranteed next year. So they decided to go with the tight end, and it's worked out really well. Hawkinson has been great up the seam. He, he has improved a lot with his blocking, especially when you look at the PFF grades. They have, they're have they staggeringly different than what he was doing in Detroit. And he is the type of tight end that really maximizes this offense because he can take things vertically, he can run crisp routes, and he has the frame to be a good blocker, which you need when you're running a lot of 11 personnel. And quite frankly, Irv Smith doesn't fit that mold. He is more of a move tight end, a guy that you're going to want to move around. Think of like a Travis Kelsey style tight end, but he's not Travis Kelsey. Like that, that's what Irv Smith Jr. does best. You move him around, you get him in positions to be successful. And I think with the bringing him back, because he's a he's set to come off injured reserve probably before the season ends. I think the Vikings have an opportunity to really maximize what they're able to do on offense because they can be a lot more multiple. Um, Hawkinson's been a tremendous addition. Yeah, you gave up a second and a third for two fourths, but that's okay because making a trade like that is relatively cheap. Right, and you, you bit off your rival, which I didn't understand personally. Me, why the Lions would even trade a top player with their rival, but I guess the, you know they saw uh, the draft picks and the compensation involved. So l- let's talk about that real quick. I actually think trading with your division rivals is is way too antiquated of a thought process. Like. If you think that you're going to win the trade, who cares if the other team wins too? Like the Vikings got two second round picks uh, for pick number 34. The Packers selected Christian Watson. The Vikings weren't going to take Watson. So they ended up using that to get Andrew Booth Jr. and Ed Ingram, both of whom they see as long-term starters. They think they win the trade. If you're going to make it with Seattle or the Dolphins, who cares if you're making it with the Packers? Like, that you're actually taking more talent away from them because they're only getting one person instead of two. And I think to me that, like, who cares? If they torch you for a decade, as long as your players are good, it doesn't matter. And I I think that needs to be taken into consideration. I was fine with it. Like, whatever. Like, trade within the division, who cares? That's 
I think we're just too ingrained on some of the old school ways of thinking. It's a solid, solid counterpoint, of course. Um, moving to the O-line, you talked about Christian Darasaw earlier. Uh, from what I know, Garrett Bradbury is also hurt with a back injury. Give a brief analysis on the uh, O-line and how they're doing outside of uh, Christian Darasaw. So the O-line is much improved, and one of the common themes of the Minnesota Vikings over the last decade is the offensive line has been a problem. It's been an issue. And you've seen some of that this year, but one of the things that's different about this team is they are holding on to the ball longer. They are not utilizing a lot of max protection like they did last year with some of their deep shots where they'd send two guys out and they'd have, like, seven guys protecting. Like, we're not doing that. We're doing, a like, longer developing routes – Cousins is moving well in the pocket, but the losses that the offensive line has had is because they're protecting for four plus seconds. And while the pressure numbers are high, it's not as bad as it looks because those pressures are coming from a longer developing route. Therefore they're getting more time to rush the passer. Ed Ingram has shown flashes of absolute brilliance and dominance, but he also leads the NFL in pressures by PFFs charting by a significant margin. Uh, he is being afforded the ability to learn on the job, which not a lot of offensive linemen are given that kind of leniency. And it's it's making a difference because all of a sudden he'll allow like two pressures, but then he'll just burst to the second level and, and destroy a linebacker and Cook is able to get 10 more yards. Like this offensive line is playing well. The Garrett Bradbury thing stinks because he was limited in practice before the Colts game. He did miss that game, but it was expected that he would play this week. But after the Colts game, he got into a minor car accident. Thankfully, everybody's okay. But that back injury tightened up, and he has not practiced all week. So I'm not expecting him to play against the Giants. But he has been much improved this year in a similar way to how Brian Allen was improved in Los Angeles for the Rams last year. They're figuring, they figured out what his weaknesses are, and they're asking him to do less of those things. Quite a novel concept, right? But I think somebody like Dexter Lawrence would have really been able to take him to school. But Bradbury also stood up Jordan Davis a couple times in that week two matchup against the Eagles. So Bradbury has shown improvement himself. It would have been a really fun matchup to watch, but unfortunately we're not going to get it. How was uh, the backup center? I think his name is Austin Schlotman. How's he played so far? Yeah, he's fine. There's a reason he's a backup. Um, there's a couple people um, among Vikings Twitter that were asking him for him to be the starter over Garrett Bradbury because we were so jaded by Bradbury over the course of the last couple of years. Well, Schlotman against the Lions was abysmal. And against the Colts, he went up against DeForest Buckner and he looked replacement level. Like, that's fine. Just don't suck. Just be okay. If you're okay, we'll figure it out. Ezra Cleveland is a really good guard on the left side. And Ed Ingram, when he's not making technical mistakes, he oversets a lot to the right and people can beat him to the inside. Something to watch for with Leonard Williams, excuse me, this Saturday, because you can really take him to school if you if you get him to overset. Um, but Slotman just needs to lose slowly. That's all we're asking him to do. And he was able to be better against the Colts. One thing with the Vikings is they don't really do a lot of rotating in with offensive linemen. Their five guys play all game. So Slotman really got his first run the last couple weeks. And I think he's, he's getting better. And as long as he's not abysmal i think the vikings will be okay moving to the defensive side of the ball for me at least it seems like there's solid talent on the defense why are they playing so poor is it coaching is it talent 
his execution. I think it's a combination of all those three. So with the Vic Fangio defense, the defense itself is very simple. You run a lot of quarters. You run a lot of cover six. You run cover two. You don't play a lot of man coverage, and you rush four guys. Every once in a while, you'll send a fifth, but you really want to play coverage and keep everything in front of you. One of the brilliant things about the Fangio defense is when you see it maximized. The 2018 Bears, the 2021 Denver Broncos. You disguise the coverages, and you play with corners who know how to do that, and everybody communicates well. The safeties are incredibly important, which is one of the reasons why the Vikings drafted Lewis Seen in the first round coming from that man-match seven defense that uh, Kirby Smart runs at Georgia. But the problem is they've had injuries at the cornerback position. Um, Cameron Dantzler missed four games with a high ankle sprain and then suited up but didn't play at all against the Indianapolis Colts, and that was his own decision. So you're getting a lot of reps for sixth cornerback Duke Shelley. And when Patrick Peterson went down with cramps, you had seventh cornerback Chris Boyd come in. And that's not a recipe for success. Cam Bynum has had issues at the safety position. He was a college corner, um, but athleticism moved him over to safety. He had a lot of issues with communication, um, a lot of issues with recognition, and that's really been the biggest issue for this Vikings defense. And because they have two corners that can play press in Dantzler and Peterson, them not doing press for so long was a, a real head-scratcher. Felt like Ed Donatel was just trying to run his scheme and not tailoring it to his players while they continue to get the players to maximize the Vic Fangio system. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, they did, however, in the second half against the Colts, finally start blitzing. 12 of 20 dropbacks for Matt Ryan. They blitzed. And I think that's something that you could see against Daniel Jones. Jones has more of a live arm than Matt Ryan, but we're not talking about Daniel Jones as this phenomenal downfield passer, especially with the issues that the Giants have had on the outside with their pass catchers. So I think you could see some more of that, some more man and press coverage, and the Vikings proved to be successful at it against the Colts. So I'm wondering if it's just a blip in the radar or if we start to seeing a beginning of a trend with the evolution of this Vikings defense. Definitely. Moving to the inside linebacker position now, in my personal opinion, it's a tough position to grade based on stats, but also needs to be judged with the eye test. Mm-hmm. Um, how are the inside linebackers playing? Being, to my knowledge, that there's some solid starting talent there. I think it's Jordan Hicks and uh, Eric Kendricks in, in that starting yeah. position. So it's interesting because Kendricks played for Mike Zimmer for the entirety of his career, 2015 to 2021. So that seven-season sample size was a large one. And one of the things that they ask the their players to do is be patient fill your gaps and don't free ball don't be super aggressive play within the scheme well the Vic Fangio scheme is completely different they ask you to fire downhill and be aggressive and be a player make plays so he's kind of had to rewire his brain a little bit and you've kind of seen too many times where he's thinking instead of playing football and when you're thinking on defense you're losing and that is something that's incredibly frustrating to watch. But Kendricks is still a good player. Jordan Hicks has been incredible. Like the best word to put it is, is roller coaster. He has been really good and really bad. And they're starting to mix in rookie third rounder, Brian Osimo, who has all the athleticism you offer a linebacker, incredibly explosive, quick trigger downhill, but his gap integrity was really bad. Somebody like Saquon Barkley could easily manipulate him and be able to burst out a 50 yard run because he Filled the wrong gap. His vision is shown improvement. They played him for 21 plays against the Colts, and he had Quentin Nelson in hell. 
It was really fun to watch because of that speed. It gives the Vikings an extra element on the defensive side. And I think that could end up playing a huge role against the, the Giants here this weekend. Asamoa is the future of the Vikings at the linebacker position, but he it looks like he could be uh, like not just the future, but the now as well. Definitely. And obviously you did talk about that corner position a little bit. It seems like Peterson, once again, based off only stats, is playing like his usual self. Um, Cameron Dantzler, you mentioned that he didn't suit up last game. Uh, one player you haven't mentioned yet who I think played a lot last game. I mean, I haven't seen the snap counts. Chandon Sullivan. I mean, is he the slot corner? How's he played so far? Sullivan's been up and down. And when you look at the entirety of his career, he's been up and down as well. He did have two fumble returns for touchdowns that both ended up being called back. And both of them should not have been called back. Now, I'll never blame the refs for a loss, but I'll tell you, while the Vikings put themselves in that situation, they also tried to get themselves out and were hindered by bad refereeing. Like it, it's a, you have to be able to contextualize it with both because the refs didn't screw the Vikings. The Vikings screwed the Vikings, but the refs definitely didn't help anything. Sullivan should have had two touchdowns. If you're playing fantasy football and you see that you're absolutely livid because that could have helped you win your playoff game. Sullivan has been good, but the Vikings will need an upgrade in the off season at slot corner. Um, there are a couple good ones in the draft. There are also some good ones in free agency that I want the Vikings to target, but he's been capable enough and he's playing much more aggressive and much better over the course of the last few weeks, which has been a huge positive for this Vikings team that's struggling at the corner position. Moving into the game prep game preview, uh, the offensive one shouldn't really be a surprise. Shouldn't be, you know, obviously should, should, should really be obvious. But uh, two X factors for the Vikings on Saturday, offense one and a defense one as well. Okay, perfect. I, I got a puppy and he's going ballistic in my office right now. Um, so uh, biggest X factor for me on defense is going to be uh, the duo of Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith. Now, you have a tremendous young left tackle in Andrew Thomas. That tackle class of 2020 is going to go down as one of the better ones we've seen in a long time. All four guys have shown flashes of brilliance, and both Wirfs and Thomas have shown real all-pro potential. Jedrick Wills is just right behind. I thought Thomas was the safer pick, but he had the lowest ceiling. Well, he's turning that technical prowess that he had into a very high ceiling as one of the best young tackles in the league. Him and Darisaw are two of the absolute best, and they're under the age of 25. We're going to be able to see a show just by watching the left tackle position, but you have Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter two of the top 12 pass rushers per pressures when you look at PFF grades. Smith has been an absolute terror, but he does a lot of his mark on the inside, and you'll see either DJ Wanham or Patrick Jones II take that other like true edge spot. And Daniel Hunter, you can look at the stats and say he's had a down year. He struggled when he stood up, but they started to in, in, incorporate more three-point stances so he can put his hand in the dirt, and Hunter has been chipped to oblivion all season long they don't trust tackles to go up against him one-on-one because they know he'll own them and that's something that doesn't get incorporated in a lot of things like uh, pass rush win rate and the double um how often that players are um double teamed because chips don't count as double teams and when you look at hunter when he gets to go one-on-one he almost always wins and that's get minimizing those two players is going to be huge for the vikings I'm going to be honest, it's going to be really simple. 
I want to see Christian Derrishaw shut down Kayvon Thibodeau. And Thibodeau had one of my highest grades last year in the draft. I loved what he was able to do at Oregon. And you could obviously see his final year. He was playing really badly hurt with that high ankle sprain. But he wanted to be out there. And to me, that showed a lot. There were people questioning how much this kid loved football. I thought they were all asinine. You could tell that this kid loves the game of football. And he's showing it. The, some of the plays he made against the commanders on Sunday were absolutely tremendous. The effort, the technical ability, and the athleticism. Darius going to have his hands full. The only game he truly did not play very well was against the Dallas Cowboys and Micah Parsons. But he also suffered his second concussion in eight days, only 18 plays into that game. So I think he was still playing a little hurt. And now that he's fully healthy, I expect a war between those two. And if Darisaw wins, that's going to go a long way to getting the Vikings a victory. Definitely agree with that. And then two X factors you think for the Giants on Sunday in terms of game planning, in terms of the Vikings game planning as the Giants, one on offense and uh, one on defense. I'm very, very interested to see what Wink Martindale does on defense because one of the things with Wink, he loves blitzing. He loves, loves, loves pressure. And because he loves pressure, that can really be a deterrent against this Vikings team because if you pressure, that means you have Justin Jefferson one-on-one. Can Adoree Jackson take him down? Or do you trust Fabian Moreau at all? Like on the surface, the answer is no. Uh, the Detroit Lions in week three did everything they could to stop him. They double and triple teamed him consistently and said, hey, you're not going to beat us with Jefferson. You have to beat us with Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, and Dalvin Cook. The Vikings proved they could do that. If you blitz a lot, if you're Wink Martindale, you are going to leave Justin Jefferson alone. And he has developed a special rapport with Kirk Cousins. And they are in sync with each other. And because they're in sync with each other, Kirk Cousins throwing comebacks before Justin Jefferson's even, even flipped his hips. Like they have that kind of connection. Like they're building something similar to what Patrick Mahomes has with Travis Kelsey. And that can be very dangerous for opposing teams. I want to see how Wink Martindale counters it. Will he run some more zone? Because Kirk Cousins is historically much worse against zone than man coverage. Is he going to run his normal defense where he sends a lot of pressure? I'm very interested to see how that all unfolds. But to me, that's the biggest X factor in defense. And on offense, can they stop the Vikings pass rush? And can Saquon Barkley take advantage? Daniel Jones is a mid-quarterback. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a mid-quarterback. But the, the Giants had hoped that he could take them to the next level. Brian Dayball is maximizing him, and I think he's the coach of the year right now. I don't think it's close. What Dayball has done with this Giants team is nothing short of spectacular, considering and even though they're talented in a lot of areas, the deficiencies they have are so large that how Dayball has gotten this team to 8-5-1 and one is absolutely tremendous. And it really should be 9-5, nine, nine and five, but Graham Gano missed that kick against the Commanders, which hard to blame him. It was over 50 yards, but still, I love what this team is able to do but they have to be able to stop the Vikings pass rush. And they they're starting to implement, implement more blitzes. You have two of the best pass rushers in the national football league. How can Daniel Jones take advantage of a clean or dirty pocket? I think those will be the two biggest things for the giants. Yeah. So to add on two things, giants related uh, for the Vikings. I mean, uh, obviously a lot of people are saying, no, Justin Jefferson is going to get this many yards. I agree with that because Dory Jackson's probably not playing this week, so he'll Ooh, be going up against. Better. Yeah, that's even better for you guys. So, <laughs> um, 
fantasy fantasy people start sit yeah start justin jefferson um but yeah i was also the one to witness a graham gano field goal first ever tie that i went to this year uh very unfortunate of course i don't like ties personally hey, neither do i uh do you remember the vikings tie against the packers in 2018 yes. i was i traveled to lambeau field it's about four and a half hours from me in minnesota and i watched that game live it was the kicking was so bad packer fans were consoling my wife and i it was it was rough well now we got something in common we've both seen ties and bad kicking um mm-hmm. Who do you think is going to win this game and where can people find you and your work, social media, other different stuff? Absolutely. Well, I'll start with the game preview and prediction. I think the Vikings will end up winning this game. Um, I think one of the big reasons that they still have something to play for. They have, they need to lock up that two seed. And right now they are currently losing the tiebreaker to the um, San Francisco 49ers because the tiebreaker they will have is in conference record. The Vikings in conference record is worse than the Niners because the Vikings are undefeated against the AFC five and zero, but that's not going to help them come tiebreaker time. Um, and they still have a hope to get that one seed, especially now with Gardner Minshew in a quarterback, that is a real wild card. Will Jalen hurts play the rest of the year. He's officially not going to play this weekend. It's that's going to make things interesting for the Vikings. I think they end up winning this game, but I think it'll be relatively close kind of low scoring. I think it'll end up Vikings 27, Giants 21. I I don't trust this Vikings defense enough to be able to stop this um, offense of the New York Giants, even though it is definitely not one of the best that they have faced all season. Um, And as far as my work, you can find me on Twitter, as it says on the screen, at The Real Forno. I am the managing editor of the Vikings Wire. Um, I'm also doing a lot of NFL draft content that you can also see there. So if you want to see my scouting reports and stuff, that'll be the place to do it. I also have it in my pinned tweet, so you can go look at my spreadsheet. Um, it has links to all the reports I've currently done, my grading system, my grades. And I also am a college football um, betting prognosticator for fantasy points. Um, we have our bowl guide right now. It's $25 and it gets in-depth previews, um, players to watch for prospects and for fantasy purposes, opt-outs and against the spread picks. Um, and then my Monday night show, um, I highly recommend you catch it out because we do talk a little bit about this Giants game. Um, it's the real Forno show on climbing the pockets, YouTube channel and the daily Northman podcast feed. It was from Monday night. Um, and it's, it's one of the better shows we've done all season because it was quite the weekend for the Vikings. Let me tell you, we've had some crazy stuff, but to have our thousandth game, be the biggest comeback in NFL history was truly something special. Definitely guys go check out his wonderful work, like comment, subscribe do all the good stuff. Uh, Tyler, thanks for coming on. And to Tyler and to all our viewers out there, obviously, I'm not going to be doing anything until after Christmas content-wise. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all the good stuff, and we will see you later.